it's pretty hard for us to remember at all times who we are. Pretty hard for us in every day's activities to remember the great gifts of humanity that has been poured out into us from God himself. The way that it impacts us and the way that it prepares us for that which we were created for. Today's message is, uh, to me, a central message for the church and for us as those created in the image of God. It is, I think, the most general topic and yet the most specific topic that the Word has entrusted to our care. This idea that we are created in the image of God and the caretakers, if you will, of all creation. Perhaps it's best caught in the wonder of the question that the psalmist declared that we find found written in Psalm 8. Whenever in the midst of the, the psalmist says, he says, O oh Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. For the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, and then that verse, that classic verse in verse 4, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. What a wonderful, majestic thought the psalmist shares with us today. And it all comes from this place. Let's go back to school for a moment. I found myself in school as I was preparing for this message earlier in the week. I pulled out a couple of theology books that I had and I dusted them off. And one of them I pulled out and started reading is a basic doctrine course that I had in 1980 in Wilmore, Kentucky. And it was a very old textbook, and it was written a long time ago, and it was very traditional. Even for me, it was very traditional. But whenever I turned from my desk to take the book back to read it, I also pulled out another book that was a contemporary Wesleyan theology and brought that with me too because I thought I might get bogged down in one, and sure enough, I did, although it was a good review course of what we basically believe about humankind because that's what I really want to be able in some meaningful way to pass on to you today. If you do not already possess it and have it planted deeply in your heart, and entrenched in your mind, it will escape you in the rigors of everyday living in the culture in which we live. If you don't celebrate it and practice it and become aware of it day by day, it slips away piece by piece because of the stress of living. And we can forget just how precious we are. We can even more certainly forget just how precious someone else is. Now, it's not hard for me to know how precious life is. I have a 14-month-old, 15-month-old, and she is precious. Now, sometimes she's more precious than others, and sometimes she is so precious now that she's 
turned her growls into more speech forms so that she can communicate emotions to us. Different than what many people used and different from what many other members of the animal kingdom used, but her own little grunts and questioning looks to say, hey, don't you know what I want? And it's best if we do. It's best if we do. But then when she goes to sleep and she just collapses and she's just lying there like this little ball of putty in your arms and you look at her and you think, oh my goodness. Sally was like that a long time ago. <laughs> and look at what Sally's become. Stand up, darling. Yeah, stand up. Come on. Stand up. Come on now. Help her up, Robert. She's getting old. Stand up now. Look at that precious, precious thing. Do you know that for 41 years, God and I have been shaping her to become this? I look at her sometimes and I think she's so much younger than she really is. And sometimes I look at her and I think, man, she is so precious. Because she is. Not perfect, but precious. Sometimes we look at our world and we struggle with how precious someone else is. Not hopefully our spouses or our children or our grandchildren, but maybe that next door neighbor or that person across town or that kid in the other classroom that I hardly know that person's name, but they get on my nerves, every last one of them. Or that little brother and sister who just drives me crazy. Or that adult brothers or sister we all have that, well, they just, we won't let them drive us anywhere anymore. <laughs> we think that because the wear and tear of life sometimes tempts us to look at another person and go, you are a mess. Or to look at them and go, how dare you? How dare you think about aborting that life that's inside you? How dare you? How dare you do what you just did to another human? There's not a jail deeper or dark enough for you to live the rest of your life in. How dare you? Or we look at some children playing up and down our streets who we notice are never in church, never going anywhere with their family to worship. And we think, shame on those parents. Those little children are growing up to be little heathens. There's so many temptations in this world to lose our grasp on the reality that every created human being on this earth, including the one who took the foolhardy act of rampaging the streets in Paris, Texas, Paris, France, excuse me, taking the lives of some 16 people and then on himself as well. And we look at that person, sometimes if we're not careful, 
and we get this feeling of disgust, not just for the act, but for the person as well. For Christians, for followers of the Christ, for disciples and learners of the love that Jesus came to the earth to bring, we must not succumb to the animalistic thoughts that are common to humankind, but must rather hold on to the thoughts that come from another dimension that are greater, more powerful, and more like God himself, that God gives each of us the capacity to remember and to act upon and to think about those thoughts that come from another world. Anthropology is a study of generic man or humankind, if you will. There are three main branches in anthropology. There's the archaeological side. There's physical anthropology, and then there's cultural anthropology. And you, humanity is unique in this universe, is the proclamation of the book of Genesis. And it is a very foundation for the rest of Scripture. And we as Christians must never rush to the rest of Scripture until we have allowed those foundational words to take heart and root in our minds because the stress, again I say, of everyday living will rob us of the sanctity of human life if we let it. It will take it away from us in its attempt to make us like other creatures of this world. The biblical view of humanity is said over and over again in different ways. But John Wesley was writing about it a long time ago, a pre-scientific age for the most part. John Wesley, in the topic of the origin of humanity, wrote some words like these, and I paraphrase some of them, and some of them are direct quotes, that our senses, see, seeing, touching, tasting, smelling, hearing, these are all good for understanding and gaining knowledge of the material world in which we live. And they are. Uh, it's a really challenge when you're deprived of some of those senses. Um, as we grow older, we begin to lose the effectiveness of some of those senses and our ability to grasp what's really going on in our material world in some way or another. And yet, those five senses were given to us by God for just that purpose. They were given to us that we might have information and knowledge about the world in which we live. But they are in no way, no way, are they able to help us with understanding the invisible world. And I quote John Wesley. You can't feel, touch, smell, taste your way or even hear your way in a sense to God. You can't do it. I know some people that know the biblical text amazingly well as printed words on a page. They know the chapter and verse of most of the book. They've read it and they've read it again. And a lot of it they've discarded. And the essential truths of it they have not yet apprehended. Because you see, you cannot apprehend the real truth in Scripture simply by your sight and by your hearing and by your feeling or you responding to what others say. 
You only really truly apprehend what the scriptures are about when you approach them by faith. God will not be known unless he is known by faith. There are plenty of examples of his handiwork all around us in the material world, and yet I cannot touch God and neither can you. Even the scriptures say no one has seen God. Yes, I know. I've read books too about people who've already gone to heaven. And I don't know what that means. I don't know where that trip took place. In their heads, in their semi-consciousness, in their spirit, I'm up for all explanations. But in reality, the physicality of our being does not really see God. Even in visions, we see a representation of what we think God is as God speaks to us. But it's not the same thing as seeing God and being able to touch God. We can't do that here. The only way we apprehend this presence of this other world, and this is what drives scientists crazy, is by faith. A belief system that we alone have been given by God. We are not like other creatures. I know already in the year and a half you thought, you know, Doug doesn't really like pets. I do. I love pets. But they are not humans. I don't care what you tell me. You're wrong. It's a sad explanation of humanity that we have attached human traits to animals that are not created in the image of God. It is a picture of where we have sunk, not a picture of a higher degree of learning. You say, preacher, do you know you just made so-and-so mad? I don't care. Because you see, the scriptures are clear. Only humans were breathed into them the breath of life. And until we get that straight, we will value our pets more than we value that man sitting on death row. Because after all, he took life. Whatever happens to him can't be bad enough, we think. That child of God bears the image of God even though his sins may be as scarlet as red blood. And we would do our God a favor if we would not forget that. We live in a world that has become far too inhumane, forgetting that every person created was made in the image of God. The biblical view of faith is clear about that. God understood that because he was the ruler of both worlds, both the material world and the invisible world. He knew that he must give us faith, as John Wesley said, in order to take us where the senses cannot go. The evidence of things not seen is faith. It doesn't mean there's no reason to believe in our creation. It just means that really our sights and sounds can't apprehend it. A blind man can apprehend God because we do not see God with our eyes we see God with the eyes of faith H. Orton Wiley another noted Christian writer of the Wesleyan particular view wrote a three volume set of Christian theology he said this kind of summed up he teaches that humanity is a culmination and climax of God's entire creative acts in humans, the physical and the spiritual meet. We are both a creature and a son at the same time. 
We are both a daughter of God and an animal, if you must say so. We are a physical being as we relate to the earth and a spiritual being as a result of the breath of God, as Genesis 2, 7 makes abundantly clear. Now, in terms of our physiological makeup and our psychological makeup, they're essential. And they're the same as they've always been, I believe. One of the writers I was reading wrote, and I believe that. Now, I, if some of you are an anthropologist, I'm sorry. If some of you love evolution, I'm sorry. But I just want to share with you a few thoughts that these men were writing about in that book. Do you know, we don't have any picture in all of the ancient writings on the walls of caves where animals are in control of humans. I know there's a great movie or two out about that. We don't have any picture at all of where the plant world, the world of insects and beasts has invaded us, though I know there are many games on your computers that allow you to play with such thoughts. I get that. They are only games. And by the way, they are all invented not by machines. There is no machine-controlled world. People make machines. People were created to rule everything in the universe, period. I don't mean rule in a negative context. I don't mean mistreat the universe in the way it's been created. I don't mean that at all. I don't mean to throw aside anybody's learning. I just mean to say this. We are not them, and they will never be us. Computers will not rule our world. You know how long it takes to take machines out of a child's life? Let me show you. Because even though we think computers and phones control our lives, who has one out? Who's got a phone? Where is it? Thank you. She has no computer now. I got it. If I don't want her looking at it all the time, I just take it away from her. It's magic. You once again can see those beautiful eyes when you take away that phone. Because she can't just look at this. She has to look at you. She might even talk to you if you sit there long enough. Thank you, sweetie. It's true. We make computers. They don't rule us. We rule them unless we choose not to. If we don't exercise our love for humanity, we can think that some children are somehow more worthy of life than others. Now, I want to be very, very, very gentle right now. The odds are very strong, if statistics are anything true, that some of you in this room this morning have made a decision at some point in your life that you could not bear a child. I understand that. I understand that. I understand how we all sin because it's not just giving into the urge to abort a baby that we are unlike God. There are many things we do that make us unlike God. So I'm not picking on them. It's a very troublesome thought to many who walk that path. And many do it for a simple reason. I'm going to be very gentle here too. 
because in their youth or their circumstances of the world, they believe those circumstances are more powerful than God is in sustaining their life if they decide to keep a child rather than not to have the child. They're financially unable to care for it. They just can't do it. They don't want to wreck their college. They don't want to wreck their careers. So abortion seems like the way out. It's common. It's way too common in this country. Sometimes, parents, children make those decisions because we are far too unlike God to our children. They're not sure how compassionate we will be if they tell us about the grave mistake they've made. So rather than tell you, they find out of a person who lives in a place that can help them with their problem. It's understandable. In their fear of being judged, they take an easy, what seems like at that time, an easy way out. In Psalm 139, we learn that God knew us before we were ever formed inside the womb. That all of time was completed in the thought of God is a huge philosophy of thought in Christian literature and a critical one. Before anything ever happened, God already knew it. It does not mean that God caused it, but God knew it. And so these lives who come into being, we think, through simply an act of physicality between a man and a woman are not simply products of the physical act. There is something holy and mysterious as well going on in conception and in birth. It is life. It's, I say that very gently. I, it's been so painful to so many in the country in which we've lived, we've not made that clear. Churches often avoid the topic because it splits many congregations. You know, it, it goes right down the line of how they vote. It's not about voting. You can't vote away the sanctity of life. You can't do it. And when someone who has made a terrible mistake and you think you've done away with that person and gotten them out of society by locking them up in a room far, far away and you think it's all finished, that's a terrible mistake. Their life is sanctified too. In fact, the only thing, the only thing that has shown power in redeeming humankind who are in prison and broken the, the binding cords of entrapment in a prison is a real life experience with Jesus Christ. It's the only way they can turn from their life of crime. Many of them have never known that they were loved by someone else. They fall apart in the presence of somebody who loves them. You say, well, I know somebody. Yes, I know. I know. There are those who are so touched and tainted by sin that it's hard to see that they are life created in the image of God. But I don't believe any of them are so tainted by sin that God does not see them as his child. We must not forget that. 
even when we act in evil, hateful ways, we are still a person, a creation of God, and we cannot escape our humanity. Remember, we are the only thing not spoken into existence. God fashioned us out of the dust of the ground with his own hands. Now, I know that all of, of our creation has not been brought under God's control yet. But we still are not slaves of our environment as other creatures are. Because you see, we, though we are the animal kingdom, we are him immensely. I don't know how big a word immense is to you. We're so not an ape that I can't tell you we're not an ape. We are so not anything other animal that you would compare to. Don't show me a smart dog and tell me, that's a smart dog. That's smarter than my grandson. <laughs> not my grandson. And if you tell me it's smarter than your grandson, I'm not going to be happy with you. Because there is somebody acting like an ape or a dog in the room, and it's not the one you're talking about. Don't degrade the image of God in every human being. It's blasphemous. You create an idol out of something that we are supposed to govern and use for the good purposes of God in this creation. Can animals be special? Of course they can. Despite the tricks they learn to do by repetition, though, they can only do what they've been programmed to do. I don't know how a bird dog can smell where a quail walked across a big open field hours later. I don't get it, but I've had them, and I've watched them, and it was true. And I could force that dog to do what I wanted that dog to do. Sorry about that dog. He could not force me to do what he wanted to do. So when he ran way off and was barking at me to hurry up and come on, I didn't do it. <laughs> because dogs don't ruin my life. And dogs never have. And dogs never will. Because I'm a child of the king. I'm created in the image of God. I can think. I don't have to just respond to the environmental circumstances around me, you see. I have a physicality, a mentality, an emotional and spiritual mentality that's given to me uniquely as God's image. I can communicate personally with God through symbols and words and voice. I can exercise a moral intelligence, that which is right or wrong. I have that ability in my makeup. I was created to have moral freedom. To the extent that it is marred by sin, yes, it's not as whole as it could be. But the idea that the devil made me do it or somebody else made me do it or I didn't understand what was going on is mostly a bunch of baloney. Although I'll admit, environmentally, we can beat the Jesus out of most people and most things we can so mistreat our children 
but they turn out to be really strange. They can have illnesses because of sin that's in our, cre our creation that causes them to do strange things, as adults can do the same. But they still have, in their right normal sense, a sense of moral intelligence, an emotional capacity, a spiritual and moral responsibilities and sensibilities. They have a self-consciousness, just like we do. They have a memory, humans do, and an imagination. The memory allows them to bring the past into the present. And imagination and vision allows them to bring the future into their present experience. You know what I'm visioning today? I'm imagining a church, a church just like us. A church that's so aware of the first chapters of Genesis that every human being they run into becomes a picture of God. Every human being. Not looked over, not looked around. The sermon's longer than I thought. I didn't get, did, I get, did we sing too much? David, where are we? <laughs> Why all of this background? Why am I telling you over and over again, you're unique, you're special, and you're precious? Here's why. Because it's only when that is fixed in our minds will we care about the unknown numbers of women who are faced with an awful decision of what to do with an unplanned for pregnancy. Only in places like Hope Center and other places around this area can they go if they somehow can get there because of the loving care of another person created in the image of God, that they might be encouraged and guided through a process that will allow them to do the bravest thing they've ever imagined, and that is to give birth to the life that's inside them. Why is this so important for us to talk about this image of God? So that we will not believe that when someone wanders into our country and we didn't know they were coming, they come from another land and they don't speak our same language and they... They're here to get an education and go home. We can ignore them as if they don't exist, or we can volunteer some of our time to hang out with them, to befriend them, to treat them like they are a person created in the image of God, even though they don't know God really exists yet. Friendship Partners is just such a program. That's the reason why Steve Childress flew out last week to go to Florida, because his student from last year was being baptized in a church with a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Friendship partners. We just don't have enough time for it. I know. It is hard. But once we get this image of God stamped upon their face, then we'll make time to be of help in a ministry like that or something like it. Not out of guilt, but out of love. There goes a child of God. Wow, I'm blowing off the papers on the other side of the stage. That's powerful stuff. Y'all better be paying attention. We lock people up in prisons and we make them worse than they were when they got there. Oftentimes. Churches are not involved enough in prison ministries. In general, it's true that Gary Swindle goes to the Dallas 
prison every fifth Sunday and he preaches to the inmates there and he always tells of people who make a profession of faith while he's there. That's a strong ministry. An even stronger ministry that has legs to it to keep going is the Kairos Ministries. Brothers and sisters to those who've been on a walk to Emmaus where they go into prison over a weekend and where they represent the work of a whole team that's built up to that point. And they go into that prison and they tell the stories of Jesus and they show love and concern for the people who are locked up in those places, including those who have taken life. Many of them sign up only to get the food because they actually get real cookies with sugar in them. They don't get that in prison. And many of them tell, end up their testimony, I came for the food, I'll admit it. I never thought anyone could love me like I was loved here. It happens in three days and nights. It's possible because of people like Chad Herring and others like him who give their time so unselfishly to take teams into those prisons and save the image of God that is lodged there inside those people inside. We're going to go, before I get there, one last thing about CCA is next door. We always know every year as people come and sign up to go to school there, there are many of them who are not Christian. They're there for private education. They don't understand God. It is our chance to help them understand. It's our chance. And lastly, we're about to start a new ministry where we're going to be trained for it beginning on January 29th of this year. We're going to have an all-day training session. It's a thing called Good News Club. We're going to do it as a church staff. All the program staff are going to be involved. We're going to ask any volunteers who will to come to be a part of that training. If not that training, then the training we'll do later for those who have been trained by the Good News Club. It's a club for an hour and 15 minutes that meets once a week in schools. They ask you to come and take care of their children for an hour and 15 minutes. Many of those children never darken the door of a church. Many of those children have never heard hardly anything about God or Jesus except in a curse word or derisive comment about a church. We get the chance to go in and tell them a Bible story about Jesus over a period of 75 minutes. I can't hardly wait to go. My staff can hardly wait to go. Right, staff? Right, staff? I want to be sure they all said yes there. Because, you see, they need to be taught that they're the image of God. I know I'm over time. I'm sorry. Not really, but I should say that. I wanted to make, it makes me feel better to say that. All people are valuable. It says so right here. It's got a big exclamation point with it. It's underlined. All people are valuable. I'm going to let you go home if, if you really believe that. If you believe that every person on this earth is created in God's image and to some degree bears the image of God, say, all people are created in God's image. All people are created in God's image. I don't believe everybody said it. Try again. All people are created in God's image. Regardless of what they have done or what they have become to this day. So therefore, as a follower of Christ, I will love them, care for them, teach them, 
guide them so that they too may be a child of God. Amen. Let's sing. Where's the band? Don't forget to pray. I know three months is a long time to pray, and January is the month we pray and are searching for where God is calling us into the community. I've named several who have brochures scattered around the church. I realize that every seat doesn't have all three, but God's probably not calling you to do all three. Find a brochure. There'll be some around in what you're interested in and read it. Pray about it. Look at your world. Keep your eyes open and see places where we may go as representatives of Christ so that the world might be changed, so that every human being, every human being will know that they are precious, that they are unique, that they are special in God's sight. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond to God, we invite you to come as we stand and sing today. <laughs>